First Samuel chapter number one. What a blessing to get to be with you here. We have survived thus far. Amen. And, uh, we, here we are. And, uh, we've got all the milk and bread that we, we could need and, uh, ready for the snowpocalypse that is about to descend upon us. Amen. And we'll sit around and eat milk sandwiches and, uh, just enjoy the Lord. Amen. First Samuel chapter number one. I want to read to you this passage out of the life of a woman by the name of, of Hannah. She is the mother of Samuel, uh, whose uh, name is born testimony to in the name of this book of the Bible. Samuel, of course, would be, we might say, a transitional figure in what God was doing in Israel at that time. He was the last judge and the first of what we would think of as the national prophets over the uh, nation. There had been prophets before him, of course. Moses was a, a prophet of sorts. And But as far as when we think of a national prophet as an office, uh, Samuel was sort of the, the first one. But it's not Samuel I want to preach on tonight. Instead, I want to look at his mother, Hannah. And I want to look at this episode in her life and just share a few things that uh, God laid on my heart in this passage of Scripture. First Samuel chapter number 1 We'll begin reading in verse number 1. We'll read down to verse 16. The Bible says, Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, the other Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. When the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion. Amen. That's what I want when I go to the restaurant. Amen. I want a worthy portion. For he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her, lest you wonder who this adversary was. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? Why eatest thou not? Why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she, Hannah, she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. He watched her. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. 
Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. We'll stop there and pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thanks for letting us be in the house of God. Uh, Lord, I thank you for how you met with us this morning. All glory is due to you. You're a precious God. You love your people. You visit oft with them. And Lord, we're just so thankful for the work that you're doing in our lives and our church. Lord, we come tonight a needy people, needing to hear from you, needing for you to do an eternal work in us. So help us to be obedient, open and receptive to the truth of God's word tonight. May Christ be magnified through our obedience. We ask it in his precious name. Amen. When we come to the life of Hannah, really this is the only episode that the Spirit of God saw fit to give us a window into concerning this woman, her character, her concerns, the things that she valued and the things that were meaningful to her. And when we read this passage of Scripture, we are immediately touched by the deep pain and grief that this woman is experiencing in her life. We didn't read all that we'll read tonight for time's sake. With the Lord's help here in a few moments, we'll read a little bit more of the story. But I trust that most of you in the room, at least, you're acquainted enough with the Bible that you know that the story does not end here in her moment of grief. But in fact, God answers her prayer, grants her a child whom she will name Samuel because she knew the Lord had heard her prayer. And that's what Samuel means, heard of God. And how that God would, through this miracle, minister grace into her life and would give her a sense of purpose and meaning. And how that God would use this young boy, Samuel, to be in many ways the voice of God to the nation of Israel at one of the most pivotal times in her history. In fact, this is not a passage of defeat and of failure. But rather, it is a passage of delivery It is a passage of faithfulness. It is a passage of triumph and victory in the heart and life of Samuel and in the heart and life of Hannah. But when we read this passage of Scripture, we get to where we're at in our reading tonight. It sure don't look like that. It looks like her life has and is falling to pieces. Yet I'm reminded tonight of what a difference prayer makes in the life of the believer and in this world at law. If we were to use one word to summarize the theme, the purpose, the point of the story of Hannah here in our text, it would be that word prayer. I want us to look in this passage, and I want us to consider tonight the prayers of a broken woman. She is in many ways helpless. She is undoubtedly, from her perspective, hopeless. And yet we find in this passage of Scripture, because she brings her petition to the Lord and seeks the Lord's help, that there is a complete 180 degree change from who she is and where she is in the beginning of this chapter to the very end of the chapter. Hey, that's the difference prayer can make in your life and in mine. So I want us to look at the prayers of this broken woman tonight. And I want us to notice some of the things that God teaches us about prayer, His faithfulness, and about how He works in the lives of His people. If we were to, in many ways, describe this story, encompassing chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, we could maybe say, if we spoke of it in theatrical fashion, that there are two acts to this play. There are, or th- excuse me, three acts to this play. There are three scenes that are set before us. 
And when we read our text here tonight, I would probably call this act number one. It is her despair. It is her defeat. It is her discouragement. And if we were to use a phrase that would maybe mark or define this passage, I would say this. In the text we've read tonight, we see a picture of Hannah and her painful tears in her life. Man, this is a woman that's struggling. This is not somebody that is riding the wave of of uh, of conquering and of success. This is not somebody whose life is untouched and unspotted by sorrow and by heartache. This is a woman in this passage that is deeply uh, struggling with her circumstances. Notice three things with me. Notice, number one, her agony in this passage. Uh, this is a woman who is struggling with her plight and her situation. And there are three things that seem to define the agony that she is going through. I would say the first thing tonight, it's very obvious from our text, is her barrenness. The Bible tells us in verse number 2 that uh, Elkanah had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, the name of the other, Penina. And the Bible says Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Isn't that an interesting way that the Holy Ghost characterizes her? Doesn't tell us anything about her personality. Doesn't tell us anything about her preferences. Doesn't tell us anything about her abilities and her aptitude and and the things that she was good at and the things that she enjoyed in life. It's almost like when we read in the Old Testament about Naaman, uh, the Syrian captain. It, It says several things about him, but then at the end it just says he was a leper. Whatever else he was, he was a leper. And when we read in this passage of Scripture, the Spirit of God skims over everything that might be unique and proprietary about this woman's life and instead associates with her and defines her by the barrenness that she is experiencing. Again, it is emphasized at the end, verse number 5 says about her, the Lord had shut up her womb. In other words, this is a woman that has a problem, and this problem is eclipsing everything else in her life. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you had a problem that seemed to make everything else shrink. You couldn't run from it. You couldn't hide from it. You couldn't pretend it away. You couldn't hope it away. God had permitted you to be in a situation where you had a problem that seemed to loom larger than every smile and every laugh and every moment of ease and leisure that you were privileged to experience in your life. And it almost as though it cast a shadow over every bright spot and moment of your life. Hannah has a lot of things to rejoice over in this passage. She has a husband that loves her and provides For her, she has a God that listens to her. She undoubtedly had a relationship with the Lord that is marked by sincerity and by honesty. And there's many things we might be able to say that are good about Hannah in this passage. But the Holy Ghost don't draw our mind to any of those things. Because the thing that was defining her was this problem of barrenness that she was experiencing. There was this looming obstacle in her life that she just couldn't get past. You may not be experiencing it tonight. But you give enough time, you'll face some things in life that you can't stick your head in the sand. You can't run from. You can't hide from. You and God are going to have to learn how to deal with that thing in some way and in some fashion. She is defined by her barrenness, her inability to have children. But then look at verse number 2. The Bible says this man Elkanah, he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children. But Hannah had no children. 
Now, I don't know if you notice something interesting in this passage of Scripture. You understand that everything in the Word of God is there on purpose and is ordered perfectly and it's exactly what it ought to be. And isn't it interesting the way the Holy Ghost characterizes and, and lists and, and, and categorizes this little family? The Bible goes out of its way to put Hannah's name before Penina's name. Now, that may not mean much to you, but very often in the record of Scripture, there is great importance placed upon the order in which things are listed. And it is probably not unlikely, and if this is not enough evidence for you, well, you just go ahead and call the evidence police and have them arrest me. But it seems to suggest to me this that is likely that Hannah was probably Elkanah's first wife. He probably married her before he married Penah. Would it be an unlikely possibility that the very reason that he took another wife was because of the barrenness of Hannah in the first place. That Penina being the second wife and being favored and blessed with fertility and fruitfulness, that this is part of the means through which she leveraged her position in order to terrorize and harass and provoke Hannah. In other words, let us say this tonight. We see not only her barrenness, but we can easily see her brokenness This is a woman that's living in an unhappy home. I don't want you to misunderstand me. It appears that Elkanah loves her. It appears as though he, in many ways, favors her and pities her. But, you know, just about anybody in the world would rather take admiration over pity. And just about everybody in the world would rather have respect than they would sympathy. And I can't begin to dive into all of the effects that this must have had in her life. But you just imagine for a moment having to wake up every day of your life and feel like you have failed the people that you love dearly and feel like you have been set aside, displaced, and replaced by somebody else to do something you were incapable of doing. I don't know about you, but that had to be a hard life she was living. She has a husband that pleads with her and tries to show to her how much he loves her. Could be part of the reason he had to show that is because she struggled with feeling loved in the first place. Her life, no doubt, was characterized by a feeling of of hopelessness and brokenness. When we describe her agony, we could talk about her barrenness and her brokenness, but I want you to notice a statement the Holy Ghost makes in verse number 10. The Bible says this, that she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. It is not just her barrenness and her brokenness that she is struggling with, but evidently she had some bitterness. That's what the Holy Ghost says. Bitterness of soul. You might say, well, preacher, all that simply means is that she had a sorrowful soul. And I don't doubt that she had a sorrowful soul. But you'll also never convince me that a person could go through what Hannah's going through and it not affect their attitude towards God. Twice the Holy Ghost reminds us who it was that had shut her womb up. It wasn't the devil that had done it. It wasn't Penina that had done it. It wasn't even her own failures or sins that had done it. It was no measure of of chastening in her life. But because God sought to do a miracle in her that could only be done with the forerunner of barrenness in her life, she had to be barren so that God would receive glory out of her life. Really, if we're to be intellectually honest, there's nobody we can blame but God for her barrenness. And you tell me she didn't blame God for her barrenness? Undoubtedly, she did. The woman we see in this text is a lot different from the woman that shows up later on in our text. 
This is a woman who was struggling to find and figure out God in the midst of her sorrow and pain and hurt and heartache. I hope you're spiritual enough you never find yourself in a situation like Hannah. But if you are, you're more spiritual than me. Because though I have not walked the same path she's walked, and though I have not been afflicted in the same ways that she's been afflicted, I've sure enough found myself at times in my life not maybe of physical barrenness, but of spiritual barrenness. And I've found myself experiencing brokenness and feeling helpless and feeling hopeless and feeling worthless in the cause of Christ. Sometimes I've let that produce in me a bitterness in wondering why God would let this happen to me. This is a woman that is struggling in this passage. Well, one of the good things is you'll never be having such a hard time that there won't be somebody that comes along and tries to make it worse. And in this passage, there is somebody that comes along and tries to make it worse for. It is this woman by the name of Penina. She's described in verse number 6. It says, her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. And you say, well, preacher, who's that talking about? Who is her adversary? Well, we're told at least the, the, the gender of the person. It says, as he did so year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. I think there's no dispute in this passage that Penina is the very one that's provoking her. Man, people can be cruel. Oh, my soul, people can be cruel. But I remind you, even if you don't have anybody that seeks to heap upon you burdens in the midst of your sorrow, uh, though our adversary may not be like Penina, we do have an adversary, the devil, who walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom you may devour. Here's what you'll find. You say, well, preacher, maybe people give me a break because I'm having a hard time. The devil won't give you a break. If anything, he'll take that as the opportunity to try to break you. Here in this passage, we see not only her agony, she's already having a hard enough time, but then here comes uh, her adversary who adds to the weight of her struggle. Notice two things that the adversary does. One, by virtue of Penina, and I think the second is the devil himself by virtue of Elkanah. In other words, using Elkanah, or maybe it was just his misguided notion that did it. But notice what the adversary does. Notice the first thing is that he mocked her despair. Penina comes along and says, why are you even praying to God? God's never going to hear you. Penina comes along and mocks her and says, why don't you pray a little louder? Maybe God will take pity upon you. Comes along and says something probably to this effect. You know, even if God hears you, he ain't never going to change this for you. The Bible says the end to which her adversary did this was to make her fret. Let me tell you one of the things that, 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 that the devil seeks to do when we're struggling is to try to instill a feeling of anxiety, fear, and doubt within us. Let me tell you what the Holy Ghost does whenever we're struggling. He comes along and he gives us the power of uh, the spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind. You want to know who it is that God's speaking through? Who's encouraging you to trust God? Who's encouraging you to look to the Lord? Who's encouraging you to look to the lifter up of your head? In this passage of Scripture, her adversary comes along and says, you're never going to get any help. There's no hope. Just give it up, Hannah. There's no hope for you. I'm glad that she don't listen to Penina. And instead, she seeks the Lord. Because by the time we come to this end of this passage, she's got a little boy bouncing on her knee. 
Let me tell you something. Don't ever listen to the adversary. He's a liar from the beginning and the father of lies. It's great comfort when the devil starts telling you lies because in many ways he's revealing unto you truth. Because all he can speak is a lie. Here in this passage, we see the adversary mocked her despair. But then notice the next conversation that happens. The Bible says every year they go up to the feast and, and that Penina would, would needle her and harass her and mock her and belittle her. Because of that, the end of verse 7, the Bible says that Hannah, she wept and did not eat. This troubled Elkanah. And he did exactly what men are famous for. He tried to fix it. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? Now, I'm going to tell you this. Uh, either he is the most dense individual who's ever walked the face of the earth, or he's trying to convince her that what troubles her shouldn't trouble her. You think he didn't know why she wept? goes on to say this, why eatest thou not? In other words, why can't you enjoy yourself? Why is thy heart grieved? And here we know exactly that he knows exactly why she's struggling. Because he says, am not I better to thee than ten sons? You know, one of the hardest things when you're struggling is when somebody, they don't just come along and mock your despair, but they do what Elkanah does here. He came along and he minimized her desire. He said this, am I not good enough? Well, it wasn't about whether Elkanah was enough. Rather, it was about what she desired for God to do in her life. She needed something that only the Lord could give. Only the Lord could give. She needed the peace that only God could give. I'll tell you this, and I'm not, this ain't marital counseling, but let me just give you a little bit of truth that might help you. All of us as spouses, there has to be some things only God can do in our spouse's life. And if you can't, if you can't reckon with the fact that there's going to be something you, that you can't be everything, that God's got to be everything, you're going to have a hard time. There's going to be some things beyond what you, there's going to be some hurts you can't heal. There's going to be some answers you can't give. There's going to be some things that you can't achieve. Because if we're everything, what do they need God for? Elkanah says, am I not better to thee than ten sons? She gives no answer. She doesn't know what to say. In this passage of Scripture, one of the things that I think that she struggled with undoubtedly was being made to feel as though she was selfish for even seeking the Lord's help in the first place. That somehow it was betraying some dissatisfaction. Well, she was dissatisfied. And let me say this, we ought to never be dissatisfied with God. But it's perfectly appropriate sometimes in our life to need and to want and to desire for God to do great things in and through us. It's not ingratitude to petition the Lord. It's not selfish to seek God's help. Here in this passage, one of the things that the adversary does, and by that I mean undoubtedly the devil delighted to see her burden added to by Elkanah's statement. I think Elkanah may have meant well. But undoubtedly, all it did was double down on her struggles. So when I read this passage, I read about her painful tears. I read about her agony, and I read about her adversary. Then all of a sudden, this passage turns a corner. And what is it that makes this passage turn a corner? Well, it's found in verse 10. The Bible says this, She was in bitterness of soul, and she prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. 
I like this passage. Hannah's wiser than you or I are, to be honest. Because though she is faced with an adversary, though she is struggling with her agony, I like her answer. Her answer is to pray and ask God to do for her what is beyond her means and ability to do for herself. Preacher, I'm struggling. Then pray. Oh, preacher, that's a that's an oversimplified answer. No, it's just simple enough for a person that is racked with pain and doubts and struggles. I'll tell you this, man, I'm glad I don't have to recite a big poem to get God's attention. Because a lot of times, man, the shape I'm in, I, I can barely put two words together. I'm glad I don't have to get up and run a hundred miles to impress God when I'm struggling. Because that'd be beyond my ability. And listen, part of the reason that we often will think, well, prayer is just such a simple exercise is because it is an offense unto our flesh. We want to do something impressive for God instead of just seeking Him and asking Him to help us, confessing our own weakness, insufficiency, and inability. I like her answer. She prayed. Notice two things about how she prays. Look at verse 11. The Bible says she vowed a vow. And said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. You know, part of the reason I think her prayer life is successful in this passage is because, number one, she prayed specifically. She prayed specifically. She didn't just say, well, now, Lord, help me. She didn't say, well, Lord, encourage me. She didn't say, well, now, Lord, guide me. None of those were wrong prayers. None of them were bad prayers. But if you want a man-child, sometimes you got to ask for a man-child. Amen. Some of y'all having babies. I'm praying. You know, we got all these little girls around here. And one day we're going to have to marry all of them to somebody. Amen. And... uh you know, I, I, the, the Tregays have had 40 or 50 little girls. We've got to get all these little babies wed someday, you know. And So Hannah, she does the right thing, man. She asks, and she don't just say, Lord, help me. She don't say, Lord, encourage me. She says, Lord, here's my problem. I'm barren, and you're going to have to open my womb, and I'm asking you, God, to give me a child. And if ain't no trouble, make it a boy. <laughs> That's specific. I think sometimes general prayers get general answers. I mean, I'd almost guarantee that most of your food gets blessed. Most of the time you enjoy safe traveling mercies. I would say the vast majority of time that God does indeed give you strength and give you encouragement. wonder what else he'd do if we'd start asking for things beyond that. We'd start saying, God, this is what I need in my life, and I'm asking you specifically. Say, well, preacher, what if he don't give me exactly what I want? Well, what are you afraid of having to trust him? Are you afraid of of having to, to trust him when you don't understand him? Wouldn't it be far better to say, now, Lord, this is specifically what I need. And if the hand of God dispenses something different to you, then by all means you can say, now, Lord, I don't understand why you did that, but I'm trusting you. But imagine how it stunts your faith and mine when we are too timid to pray specifically about things. Imagine what God could show us and do in us. And imagine the things that we have not simply because we ask not. She prayed specifically. But then I like verse number 12. The Bible says this came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord 
that Eli marked her mouth. Now, what that means is he sat there and he noticed that she was mouthing words. Now, Hannah, she spake in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. Hannah answered and said, No, my lord. I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Now notice this verse. Count not thine handmaiden made for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. You know what I like? When she prayed, she didn't hold anything back. She didn't hold back her complaint. She didn't hold back her grief. I, 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 hmm. I don't know everything that this woman said, but a woman praying the way that she prayed likely did not waste 40 minutes on flowery language and introductions between her and God. She just got serious and busy praying. And here's what I like about her. Not only did she pray specifically, but she prayed sincerely. I don't think you had any of this. Well, God, you're just so gracious and you're so good. And you're already, you bless me so much every day already. And, and, you know, Lord, I mean, I hate to even ask. And I I don't think it's likely that that's what you would have heard. You'd have probably heard some things like this. God, why am I, why am I like this? God, explain to me how it's fair that I'm going through this. God, why is that wicked, evil woman? You're opening her womb, but you won't open my womb. God, I'm not happy with how things are right now. God, my heart is broken. I'm struggling. I'm bitter. I'm angry. And I don't understand what you're doing in my life. By the way, her prayer got answered. (laughs) I don't know if you're aware of this. But you don't have to say it for God to know you're thinking it. And you'd save a lot of time if you just go ahead and be honest with God in the first place. You may be scared of talking to God that way, but He's not scared of getting talked to that way. He'd all rather you just be honest with Him. You're not having to grease the rails ahead of going and talking to God. He's your Heavenly Father who has opened to you the throne room of grace and has said, come to me with your problems. Cast them on my shoulders. Pour your complaint out unto me. I think we'd be far better off. You say, well, preacher, I don't want to be impolite or unkind to God. Well, I'm not advocating you do. But you sure enough ain't going to get nothing done if you won't get honest with Him. You'd be a lot better served if you just talk to Him and tell Him the truth. Tell Him what you're struggling with. Tell Him what you're going through. See, some some of y'all, the problem in your life is you ain't had no real prayer in years. All it's been is getting your food blessed and your and your travels prayed for and maintaining a sort of polity in your prayer life. And it's been nothing but just a, a religious exercise. You'd be amazed how God would change your life if you'd start talking to Him what's in your heart. You'd be amazed how God would help you if you'd just start being honest and sincere with Him. We have, I, every year around here, we've got it on our calendar. We've got it on this calendar, but it's from last year. That ain't going to help nobody, is it? We have a uh, we have a prayer meeting here. We have an all night prayer meeting, and we do that every year. We've done it for I don't know how many years now. 
We do that in preparation for our camp and things like that. What we do is we bust the night up into these 15-minute little, little, you know, shifts and and people can sign up and they'll say, well, I want to be here. I'll be here between 1245 and, and 1 a.m. And, and I'll be at that altar and I'll be praying. A lot of times there'll be several people signed up for the same space. There'll be several people down here at the altar. I'm sure there's churches uh, do it a lot more spiritual than we do, <laughs> you know, in those millions of churches that are still having all night prayer meetings. And uh, but But that's the way we do it around here. And I'm not saying it's the only way, but that's how we do it. And And you'd be amazed. If you would pray honestly before God for 15 unbroken minutes, it'll take you about 8 to 10 of those to just quit being a hypocrite. But then for the last five or so, you'll be amazed at what God will do in your heart and in your life. You know, we've got to get past this thing of viewing prayer as merely religious ceremony, as merely a, a spiritual exercise that we're engaging in. It's talking to a God that knows what we're going through. And this woman, I like her, man. She prayed sincerely. Well, as I said, this passage, it turns a corner here. Let's begin reading verse 17. We'll read down verse number 28. The Bible says this, Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. They rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. Now Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass when the time was come about, after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up. For she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned. Then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, the only smart thing a husband ever says, Do what seemeth thee good. (laughs) Tarry until thou have weaned him. Only the Lord establish his word. So the woman abode and gave her son suck until she weaned him. When she had weaned him, she took him with her with three bullocks one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine, and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here, (laughs) praying unto the Lord. Now why would she have to say that? Because she didn't look like who she had looked like three years earlier. She says, For this child I prayed, the Lord hath given me my petition which I asked of. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And she and he worshipped the Lord there. I told you there's three acts to this scene before us or this play before us. I understand. I'm not denigrating the historicity of, of the Word of God. But I'm saying if we think of it almost like a story unfolding. The first act deals with her painful tears. But the second act, it deals with her prayerful triumph. I told you earlier, the woman who's standing here three years later... She, she's almost an entirely different woman than the woman who in agony and bitterness of soul was praying to God whenever we come to the beginning of this chapter. I want you to notice prayer made the difference. Her prayerful triumph over the things she was struggling with. Prayer won the day. Prayer worked. Prayer succeeded. Let me tell you something. Ain't nothing, ain't no force in this world got a track record like prayer does. 
I mean, there's, I, the, the, there is nothing in this world that has the, the pedigree and the heritage that prayer does. Prayer works. And it worked in her life. Well, what did it, how did it help her to triumph? How did it give her victory? Well, notice number one, it gave her victory over her bitterness. And go back a little earlier to when she just gets up from talking to Eli. Bible says, verse 17, then Eli answered and said, go in peace. The God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. This is amazing. She said, let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. When she prayed, God gave her victory over that bitterness she was feeling. I want to be careful with what I'm about to say here. I'm not saying if you pray, you ain't going to be sad. But I am saying this, that faith in God to handle situations has a meaningful difference in the disposition of the person that comes to the Lord and puts their faith in Him. We're so afraid of having some anecdotal occasion where someone follows some prescribed religious method and exercise and then comes back and complains that it did not have the desired effect that we are terrified to say with any boldness or certainty that the things of God work. Faith works. Prayer works. To preacher, I prayed and I don't feel any better. Well, pray again. Pray again. And everything, by prayer and supplication, giving thanks, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. I can't tell you why you ain't feeling better, but I can tell you prayer is still the answer. Still the answer. How did it give her victory over her bitterness? Well, there's two things here. One, we notice the promise of faith. Eli answers and says, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. Eli didn't say, well, don't worry, I'll say some prayers for you and that'll fix it. Instead, he said, listen, woman, God's going to have to do this for you. But if you've asked him sincerely, and whatever's best in your life, God will do. <laughs> it probably been a lot of years since Eli had seen anybody pray like that. He's an old man by this time, and all he's ever surrounded with is his degenerate sons. And here's this woman getting serious with God. And it moves his heart. He says, I believe if you pray that seriously, God will hear your prayer. And I believe if you as a child of God will pray that seriously, I believe God will hear your prayer. I'm not promising you He's going to do everything you asked Him to do. But I am saying this, that we have the promise of God such that we can place our faith in Him and trust Him with the things that we've brought to Him. I'll tell you this, if He can give it to you and not hurt you, He will. And we'll say it again. If He can give it to you and not hurt you, he will. So here, Eli says, I believe you're sincere and I believe God, if it's possible, God will grant you that petition. And then notice the peace of faith, verse 18. The Bible says, let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. Now, again, I'm not saying you're not going to struggle, but I'm saying when you are struggling, this is the answer. There's nothing that would suggest to us that Hannah never had a doubt, that she never had an anxiety, that she never had a struggle for the rest of her days. When it says she was no more sad, it doesn't imply she never had another sad moment in her life. What it says is in that moment, God gave her peace in her heart and in her life. And I'm not saying you're never going to have an anxiety, but I am saying this, if you'll come to God and trust Him with it, then the peace of God will reign in your heart and in your life. Here through prayer, she got victory over her bitterness. But then notice, number two, she got victory over her barrenness. Verse 19. The Bible says they rose up in the morning early 
and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass when the time was come, about after Hannah conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. God made her fruitful again. There's a lot of Christians who are suffering a spiritual barrenness in their life. But can I tell you, God can make you fruitful again. God, God can give life back into your life again. Here in this passage, God did two things for her. The first is He made her fruitful. He caused her to bear a child. Something beyond her ability, beyond her means. And by the way, something that is only the proprietary uh, ability of God Himself. Only, listen, He's the giver of life. And you say, well, preacher, that's obvious, that's good and everything, and I appreciate that Bible lesson. No, are you hearing me? He's the giver of life. If your life's going to have value and meaning, it's going to be because God uses you. He's the giver of life. God made her fruitful. But then notice number two, God mended her faith. When Samuel's born, she doesn't name him Elkanah Jr., E.J. She doesn't name this poor little boy, little Hannah. But instead, she calls his name Samuel. We have no record of that name anywhere in his family prior to this moment. It's a special name. Here's what it means. It means heard of God. That's why she did that. She said, because I have asked him of the Lord. I don't know what she thought about God entirely in the earlier portion of this chapter. But I do know that by the time that little baby boy is born, she's confident that God hears and answers the prayers of his people. It's a woman who every time that she calls his name, she's testifying to him and to the world, I have a prayer hearing and answering God. She wants to be consistently reminded that prayer works in her life. This is a woman whose spiritual life had been on the skids, but now all of a sudden she is fruitful and her faith has been mended. And then notice not only that, God gave her victory over her brokenness. Look at verse 27. She says this, For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Now, I told you, if I don't, if there ain't enough scriptural evidence for this, you go ahead and call the evidence police. Have me arrested, and that's fine. Um, they'll probably do that pretty soon anyway. <laughs> but uh, I would venture this guess. There was probably this thought, if it didn't, if it was never voiced, it surely enough must have flashed across her mind when she was struggling. Lord, why don't you care about me? Don't you care that I'm going through this? Don't you love me? Don't you care about me? God, don't don't you have pity on me? Lord, I'm dealing with this thing and I, I've begged you and I've prayed to you and I've done everything I know to do and it's like heaven has closed to me. It's like there's a mile of concrete between me and you, God. I'd say this, her relationship with God had been on rocky ground. I would say this, her relationship with the Lord had been, let's use this word, strained. But now she says this, for this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me the petition I asked of. Let's say it this way, her brokenness that she was experiencing is rectified in this passage. One thing that happens is her relationship that is restored. Now all of a sudden, her and God, man, they're on good terms again. Now all of a sudden, she speaks proudly of the Lord. She speaks gloriously of the Lord. We'll read it here in a moment. She goes on. Man, you think her prayer was something before? You ought to hear the one she prays in chapter 2. We're going to read it here in a second. Her relationship with God is back the way it used to be. Man, I'm glad 
Sometimes we struggle with something so hard that we let it affect our relationship and our attitude towards the Lord. And I'm, I'm glad because if I was God, I'd throw me away when I did that. But He's more faithful and more loving than I am. And when we're struggling like that, He just, He don't throw that clay away. He in patience molds us back the way we should. Her relationship that is restored. But then notice her purpose that is performed. Verse 28. She says, Therefore also have I lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. The most important thing Hannah ever did with her life was have Samuel. Now, whether you like that or not, or whether that uh, soothes and, and, and uh, eases your political notions or not, it's obvious from the Word of God that was the most valuable, important, meaningful thing that she ever did in her life. We're not told of anything else important that she did. And undoubtedly, she did other important things. But it would not be, I think, too much to say that if we were to ascribe to her life one grand purpose... Certainly, according to the testimony and witness of Scripture, we'd have to say that it was being the mother of Samuel and bearing him. That was in her life, her purpose. And guess what? We come to the end of chapter 1. Her purpose has been performed. She has a sense of worth and of value again. And she can see how God has worked in her life and has used her to great force and to great effect. Now you say, well, preacher, I don't know if God will do for me exactly what he did For her and he may very well not. But I will tell you this, that if you'll pray and if you'll seek the Lord, God will give you purpose in your life and use you to great power and to great effect, maybe in ways you never imagined or never dreamed of. The only life that is meaningless is the one that's lived in disobedience to the Lord. Here in this passage, she's gotten victory. Well, look in chapter 2. I've got, it's only been three minutes since we started, so I've got plenty of time. Look in chapter 2, verse 1. Here we have another one of Hannah's prayers. First was a prayer of grief, but this is a prayer of gratitude. The first, she's talking about her struggles, but here she's talking about her Savior. And I'm glad, listen, that the hardest prayer we pray is not necessarily the last prayer we pray. I'm glad there's victory beyond the struggles that we experience. And Hannah, she experiences great victory in the Lord, and she wants to praise God for it. And so she prayed, verse 1 says, and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. She says, There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. He looks over at Penina. She looks over at Penina and she says, Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. told you there's three acts to this play. The first is her painful tears. The second is her prayerful triumph. But here in chapter 2, we read her powerful testimony. Prayer yields powerful testimonies. Prayer yields powerful testimonies. And here in this passage, man, she's got something to rejoice over. What's she rejoicing about? Well, here in these first three verses, she's rejoicing of God's goodness. She's given testimony that God's a good God. Now, if you had heard that first prayer she prayed, you might have heard some foolish charging of God or suggesting that God might not be all that good. But before the thing's done, she's saying, if I said it, I was wrong because He's a good, good God. She rejoices in his salvation in verse 1. She says, My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies. 
Uh, you say, well, preacher, now what does that mean? Well, Panan had been a loud mouth. Hannah says, now it's my turn to be a loud mouth. <laughs> In other words, Panana had boasted over me, but now I get to boast over her. Why? Well, because Elkanah loved her more? No. Well, was it because she had won the day? No, that's not why. Here's why. She said, because I rejoice in thy salvation. She said, you know what? I trusted God and that worked. I trusted God and that worked. I trusted His salvation for Him to save me, for Him to do something I couldn't do. And here I am getting to brag on what God has done. She rejoices in His salvation. Then she rests in His holiness in verse 2. She rests in His holiness. She says, there's none holy as the Lord. I don't know what she's saying a couple years before this when she's praying outside the temple. But now she's saying there's none holy as the Lord. How can we say that given her circumstances? We might say it this way. He doeth all things well. I thought he was being unrighteous, but he was never unrighteous. He's holy. She says there's none beside thee. And she says this, you know, I found that when I set my anchor upon him that there is neither is there any rock like our God. She says, here's what I've learned. I've learned even when I don't understand him to trust him because he's always right. Then I like verse 3. She relies on his justice. I told you she turned. She looked at Penina and she said, listen here, woman. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. She said, who's bragging now? You see this little baby boy? Who's bragging now? And she says, you better watch what you've said. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. Ah, that's, that's King James Bible language for na 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 boo boo. That's good Bible language of saying, hey, I don't have to wreak vengeance on you. God's going to do it. She says, I ain't trying to get back at you, but one day God's going to level every bit of this playing field. And instead of taking up her own portion, she relies on God's justice. Here in this passage, she has a powerful testimony of God's goodness. But then she has a powerful testimony of God's grace. Look at verse 4. She says, The bows of the mighty men are broken, and they that stumbled are girded with strength. What does she mean by that? Well, God has a way of turning everything on its head. She says, It used to be Penina was the one shooting arrows at me. <laughs> but now all of a sudden, I'm the one that's got strength. The fiery darts she was launching at me have been broken and cast to the ground. She says, they that were full have hired themselves out for bread. And they that were hungry cease. She says this, Panani used to be the one that I thought was satisfied. Now she's running around looking for ways to be happy. And I, who was always so hungry in my soul, am full and content on the goodness of the Lord. Then she says this, so that the barren hath borne seven and she that hath many children is waxed feeble. Boy, that's interesting. I can't explain everything about that, but it's amazing. Hannah says, God, just give me one. Elkanah says, ain't I better than ten? And God said, I'll give you one that's every bit as good as having seven. Some of y'all have raised children. You thought you had seven, but you just had the one. Amen. They just ate enough and broke enough for seven. You understand seven's the number of completion. In your Bible. When she says that the barren hath borne seven, she's talking about herself. Who else would she be talking about? 
And what she's saying in time would suggest that she couldn't have had seven children between when Samuel was born and now. But what she's saying is this, God gave me the son that I begged for. And it satisfied me. I feel complete. I feel content. Here's what she's rejoicing in. She's rejoicing in God's grace in delivering her. She says, God did what I needed done. She talks about God's grace in exalting her. Verse number 8. She says this, He raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill, to set them among princes, and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and He hath set the world upon them. I, I can't even... I, hmm. I could, I could just, I could take my shoes off and run a lap in that Bible verse. If ever there was a fit description of the grace of God in saving the sinner and exalting him, lifting him out of the pit, I went from being a beggar on a dunghill to being a, a child of the king seated at his table. <laughs> I even like that next phrase. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust. Lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to do what? To set them among princes. That's what's happened to me. We've been made priests and kings. Not only that, it says, and to make them inherit the throne of glory. Here's how Paul will say it in Ephesians chapter number 2. He hath raised us up together with him to set in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. She's saying, look what God did in my life. I didn't deserve any of this. I went from being broken and bitter and barren, my life in pieces. I was an angry, miserable, sorrowful person. And now here I am on Glory Mountain enjoying God. (laughs) And exalting her. And then verse 9, in keeping her. We're talking about grace here. She says this, He will keep the feet of His saints. And I'm glad God keeps the feet of His saints. It ain't me trying hard enough, and it ain't me making God promises. I'm kept by His power, sealed unto the day of redemption by Him. And she says, And the wicked shall be silent in darkness. Then she says this, For by strength shall no man prevail. She says, Here's what I've learned. It's got to be by grace. By strength shall no man prevail. She has a powerful testimony of God's goodness and of God's grace. But then, just because I want to read it, I'm going to preach on verse 10 here. Because she has a powerful testimony of God's glory. This is an amazing verse when you think about where she's standing in history. She says this, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth. and He shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointing. Ha! That's amazing. Here's this little old woman in Israel, and all of the sudden she has transcended and leaped ages of human history to stand amongst Isaiah and Ezekiel in seeing apocalyptic glimpses of the glory of God. She's seeing things that Isaiah won't see for hundreds of years. She's standing where John the Revelator would stand and seeing the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. She, you say, now preacher, preacher, what does that have to do with prayer? I'd say this, if you'll bring your troubles to him, you'll learn things about him don't nobody else know about him. You'll see him in ways that nobody else sees him. 
You'll catch glimpses of His glory that could be gained in no other fashion or way. She talks about three things just for exposition's sake. Let's just mention them. She mentions the glory of His sword. She says the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall He thunder upon them. She sees that vast host arrayed in the valley of Megiddo. And she sees the Lord in power and in glory speaking in the brightness of His coming with authority and a sharp two-edged sword proceeding forth out of His mouth and God thundering upon His foes and adversaries and enemies. She, hmm, here, hmm. If you'll trust God with small victories, He'll let you see bigger victories. And not only the glory of His sword, but the glory of His scepter. She says this, the Lord shall judge the ends of the earth. She looks past even that day of, of blood and of vengeance and of, of, of vindication and sees God gathering the nations that He might exercise judgment upon. We often call it the judgment of nations when He separates the nations one from another. And here she says, I saw the Lord in glory and He was seated on a throne and He had that scepter and He was judging all of the world. She sees the glory of his scepter. But then she says an an amazing thing. She says, and he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. I don't know if you know this, but Israel ain't got a king. In this passage, Israel ain't got a king. In fact, it'll be that little boy that she had brought and dropped off at Sunday school that morning with his Sunday school teacher, Eli, would one day take the horn of oil and pour it over the head of first Saul and then David. At this time, there is no king. Hannah says, I see a king, though. I see him, and he, he's seated upon a throne. And he's robed in strength, and he's garbed in glory. His horn is exalted all the world comes and worships at His feet. She looks far beyond where she's standing and sees God glorifying the Lord Jesus during the Millennial Kingdom. Now, preacher, what are you getting at? What's this got to do with prayer? Well, here's what it's got to do with prayer. If you'll trust Him with the small victories, He'll let you see bigger victories. If you'll trust Him with the injustices, you'll find out He's a God of justice. And if you'll trust Him when you can't find Him, You'll see Him in ways that nobody else has seen Him. She couldn't find or see God or understand God. She said, but I'll pray and trust Him. And before it's all said and done, she's seen glimpses that prophets would wait hundreds of years to see. This little woman in the land of Israel. Why? Because of the prayers of a broken-hearted woman who when she didn't know what to do, she did the right thing. And she brought it to God and said, God, I just need your help. Let's bow together tonight. A musician's going to come play. And I, I want you, if the Lord's dealt with your heart, I want to give you an opportunity to deal with Him tonight. I don't know what He may have said in your heart this evening. I, this is the message God laid on my heart, and so I preached it. But here's what I do know. I do know that God has purpose designed by everything. And if God's touched your heart, would you meet Him in this altar? Let Him have His will and way in your heart and in your life tonight. We can pray, we can seek the Lord, we can yield to God, we can give Him glory in our lives, and He'll do things far beyond what we could imagine or achieve. But we've got to bring things to Him. Father, bless this invitation. May it glorify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.